A lot going on from Raw, from SmackDown, from AEW Dynamite, and also a lot of news going around in the world of professional wrestling. We're going to talk about it all next on the Squared Circle Psycho Babble. My name is Michael Valenti. Joining me is Ralph Valenti. We'll start with some big news that's happening in AEW, and that is to start out 2023, we're going to get a new look from AEW. Dynamite and Rampage are going to get a little bit of a facelift, apparently, according to Tony Khan in an interview with TV Insider. Here's what he had to say about that. He said, I don't want to let the cat out of the bag necessarily, especially so close to the big day. But at the start of 2023, we're going to open the year on Wednesday, January 4th, with the first Dynamite in Seattle, marking a full year of Dynamite on TBS. We'll definitely have a new look, to say the least. I'm excited about it. I think it's a nice thing to present to the fans. But frankly, I found more so than ever, the more you talk about these things, when you build them up, you don't want to create expectations that are impossible. I will say the set will be beautiful, though. The look of Rampage will also be different. This will affect the way people view AEW on Wednesdays and Fridays in terms of presentation with the set and the show with the same great action. So, Ralph, I, I'll admit, I like the set as it is right now. I like the AEW Dynamite set. It's, you know, it's not overly done with giant LED boards like WWE is. You know, they they do the pyro, but not like overly done. Could it use a little bit of tweak and a little bit of updating? Sure. I mean, you could always update as the times progress. And I think this really should be a case where that happens. Little bit of tweaks to make it improve. But don't overboard it to make it look like a WWE thing. I know they're bringing in Michael Mansuri from WWE to be co-executive producer and, you know, a vice president in production. So I wonder how his influence is also going to play into this as well. I agree. I like I like the way it is. I like everything from their intro, their 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 colors, that it feels bright and different, certainly in comparison to Anything WWE is, you know, it's just color scheme alone. It just has a different feel that makes it stand out. I actually, when I was watching Raw this past week, I couldn't help but feel just how overproduced everything kind of felt from the Mm -hmm. set to even the commentary. Like, you know, on SmackDown, Michael Cole certainly got much better, but on Raw, it just feels still really produced. The same kind of layout, same kind of segments, same kind of even flow between segments and you know, for AEW to go out of their way to give um, what, in my mind, is already kind of working a little bit of a facelift, I think is a good thing. Yeah, I think there are some elements that Michael Mansuri could bring in from WWE to AEW that will make it better. One in particular is I think they have to find a way to make the show feel bigger. And what I mean by that is, like, if I'm watching Dynamite and my wife happens to walk in a room and I'm watching it, one of the biggest complaints she has is, It looks small. Is there a way they can make it look bigger than it really is? And I know that's, you know, that's a lot of trickery production wise. And when you're doing it live, it's easier said than done. But maybe this is where the influence of WWE and the career that Michael Mansuri has can influence Tony Khan, where I'm not saying a thousand jump cuts. I'm not saying giant LED board. I'm not saying, you know, piped in crowd noises like, You know, all the things that Kevin Dunn is known for and people hate. I'm just saying maybe just change some of the camera angles, maybe make it the stage, maybe a little bit bigger. Now, don't go huge, but just a little bit bigger. Even if you go even past that, what is what are they going to change the graphics? You know, are they going to change the logo? Are they going to change the intro music? You know, stuff like that. I like the intro song. 
I love the graphics. Don't do too much, but I'm excited to see nonetheless. Now, there was a lot to talk about from this week's episode of uh, Dynamite. One in particular, the main event. We had Jamie Hayter versus Akaru Shida for the AEW Women's Championship. And it was the first defense for Jamie Hayter. And they absolutely delivered a really, really good match. Well received by the fans on, on social media. The crowd was really into it. You could feel how hard hitting it was. It's my type of wrestling match where they're just, you know, there's a sense of urgency to win the match. It's hard hitting. Jamie Hayter ends up winning the match. We also get a follow-up with this. You have the beatdown for Bit Baker and Rebel coming in. Tony Storm comes in for the save. We haven't seen her in a little while, so she gets thrown into the fold. And then Soraya also comes in for the save. So five or six women involved in this one segment alone so it's definitely a step in the right direction. You know, I, I've seen some people. In fact, let me let me see if I can pull it up on Twitter here. Because someone actually tweeted us at our Twitter at SCPB Podcast. And they had something specifically for you about this, Ralph. So let me pull this up really quick. Oh it comes to us from Gotham Guy. And he says, Michael, after last night's main event on Dynamite, please tell your brother from this day forward, he is no longer allowed to say anything regarding the lack of presence of the women's division. And he shows a picture of the kid with the shocked face after the uh, the near fall of a car sheet. I think after the, the power bomb, that was a, a two count. Well, this is certainly a good starting point, and we, we would hope that this is a good starting point for Tony Khan to actually get the women's division on the track that I think most of us want it to, to see it kind of beyond. Mm -hmm. I do remember you actually seeing that quote or that tweet earlier today. And I think my response was, well, that the premise of that would mean that I said that the women wrestlers weren't good or weren't talented in AEW. And that's something that I've never said. If anything, I've said they do have talent there. Maybe there's only five or six women that are truly like top tier or, you know, at the level where they can go out and do what those two did last night. But the problem is they haven't been given the opportunity to do it on a consistent basis. This could be a good starting point if they build off this week after week after week and they actually try to build storylines and it gets uh, the same focus that certain things like, you know, Mox and MJF get. If there's the same amount of effort put into Jamie Hayter's title reign, because let's not forget, this is her first title defense since winning that. So that in itself, I think, kind of speaks volumes to the fact that no matter who they were, they were kind of given a backseat unless you were like Britt Baker. And even then, like she hasn't been doing a whole lot other than backstage segments. They certainly don't have to wrestle every single dynamite. If you're one of the women that seem to be the ones that should be put up on a pedestal featured every week, are super talented, can go out there and do with her, her and Hakaru Shida did last night. You should be featured on the show, at least on a weekly basis and made to feel special. The one thing that I've always said, and I think most people have said, is they don't give, they haven't been given that opportunity to do that. Point in case, Hikaru Shida, you were somebody who was really big on her, and the commentary actually pointed this out. Well, she carried the title, and it was all through the pandemic, and as soon as crowd came back, she lost. Right. She hasn't really done anything since, so that right. kind of proves my point as well. So it's like, I never said they weren't talented. I like a lot of the women AEW. I think they can do good things. I think Jamie Hayter's great. I thought this match was great. But they don't necessarily get the time and the effort that I think the men get. Yeah, if this is a starting point to see that actually happen and come to fruition and Tony Khan's going to actually invest in long-term storylines and building up like Soraya and everybody else and it's not going to be like, you know, anybody who's debuted big and kind of been put on the back burner, that's what I don't want to see happen. So 
Hopefully that clarifies it. I, I don't. That's my take. I'm sure the Babel section will have their responses, whether they agree with you or have their criticisms, but I'm sure they'll let us know. But one thing I do want to point out, and I think this week's Dynamite definitely pointed this out, and that is in order for there to really be a focus in any division, not just the women's division, there has to be rivalries, whether they're feuding directly or indirectly, they're always tied together. What we saw this week was simply Jamie Hayter and Tony Storm will always be tied together, whether they're feuding directly or indirectly. Britt Baker and Soraya will always be feuding together, whether directly or indirectly. They'll always be tied together. They could always be intertwining with each other too. That's what's going to build this division. It's not going to just be match, 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 match. No, you need a rivalry and you could build that with these four. And now you bring Hikaru Shida into the fold. She could still feud with Jamie Hayter. She could still feud with Britt Baker. If in fact, Sasha Banks shows up, she feuds with Britt Baker. She feuds with Hikaru Shida. She feuds with Jamie Hayter or Soraya or whoever. And then even at the third level, Ruby Riot and Ty Conti are always tied together. And Anna Jay is always tied together. But you have to keep it consistent. That's what you have to do. And that is, I think, what pro professional wrestling as a whole has gone away from. If you watch the Attitude Era, whether it was WCW or WWE, they had that. Vince was always feuding with Austin. The NWO was always feuding, whether it was Sting or Diamond Dallas Page. There was always a feud with somebody. They're not doing that anymore in professional wrestling. Going back a couple of weeks ago, um, who were we talking about? We were having a debate about the one and two, the top tag teams in, in all of pro wrestling. Who were those two? The Usos and the FTR. Right. If I were to name, if I were to ask people, who's your top five tag teams in the world right now? I, I guarantee you, we could probably guess a majority of those tag teams who probably would not be named in that group are the guns. Mm -hmm. Now, the, are the Guns the best tag team in the world? Are they in the top five? I, I don't know where you'd rank them. I will tell you this. FTR and the Guns have been feuding on and off, or at least more consistently than I would say some have been. And they've been kind of building on that week in, week, week in and week out, and even on the last most recent uh, pay-per-view for Ring of Honor. And last night, they furthered that feud. Is the, are the Guns one of the most talented tag teams in the world? I think they're good at what they do in ring. I don't think people would say that they're as good as the young bucks or some of the top tier tag teams, but the story between them and FTR is continuously being built week after week after week. The tension is building and people are eventually are going to want to see FTR get their hands on the guns and get the revenge, especially after the way they won last night. So yes, you could take two really good professional wrestlers, throw them in the match, make it a main event and you know, it could deliver. I mean, we've seen, and it's the other thing. It's not like this is the first time we've seen a good women's match in AEW. Um, or in Thunder the main Rose event for that matter. Correct. That's right. Exactly. So, yes, this was great. Um, I want to see them build off it. You know, if, if Tony Khan is the booker of the year, two-time defending booker of the year, whatever he ha is or has been, he needs to continue to build the women's division, mm -hmm. especially if he is going to get somebody of the caliber of a Sasha Banks. Yes. Uh, which is... Maybe rumored, maybe hopeful. Who knows? He's got the talent there. We saw it last night. Build on it. Exactly. Exactly. There, and like I said, rivalries. That is what people want to watch. Watch rivalries. And maybe one that's coming to fruition right now, also on AEW Dynamite, Swerve and Keith Lee. 
So they were a tag oh, team boy. for a while. We there's been a hint of a, a breakup for for a while now. They were tag team champions. They dropped the titles. Keith Lee walks out on Swerve multiple times. So Rick Ross comes in and he's going to mediate this situation. He's going to come in and put back Swerve and our glory together, right? Not happening. Swerve and Rick Ross join forces. Parker Bordeaux joins Swerve. And then there's this other guy. I don't even know if they said his name. If they did, I missed it. I'm sure someone in the Babel section can let me know. But he's all tattooed up. He's got two braids on his head. Someone found his Instagram. Apparently, he was a pitcher in the Tampa Bay Rays system. Let, let's see where this goes. I think Swerve and Keith Lee can have a great feud. I don't know where Parker Bordeaux and this tattooed guy really fit into this feud. Segment aside, okay, Rick Ross, I will say this. I don't know if you saw his backstage interview. Yes, I did. He definitely has some charisma to him, and I actually think he can be a good manager or mouthpiece. He actually was much more comfortable in that role than I thought he was going to be. He probably almost got them kicked off the air. I actually thought it was comical as like the whole segment was unfolding. Literally, Rick Ross would just randomly be like, legend, legendary. <laughs> We're coming for you or just random shit. And I was like, what, what is he talking about? And it was just a, a standing in back of Keith Lee. And he just wanted to be like the young legend. I'm like, what is going on here? I'll say this too. swerve last night for the first time. I felt like I believed in him and his character. If that makes any type of sense, mm -hmm. you could feel his presence. If that makes any type of sense no, Where, and be before, I kind of felt like, okay, this is a guy that a lot of people hype up. He's definitely decent in the ring, but I just never really felt like he was special. But last night, he definitely had a different persona, swagger about him. I thought it worked. Um, shame on anybody who ever, ever, ever said Parker Bordeaux was the next coming of Brock Lesnar. Um, we, I thought he was terrible. We actually might have been on that board at one point. I I'd have to don't go back to ever the tapes. remember saying that. I don't ever remember. If anybody could dig that up, maybe like he looks like him because he has blonde hair and is pale. He looked terrible. Looked totally uncomfortable. I can't believe somebody like that came through the NXT system. Um, well, maybe I, that's I why they let him go because that was during that whole 90 day period where it's like after 90 days and they don't feel like you're improving. They're letting you go. He might have been one the of case those. Maybe. The only, Whatever like, the case may be. The thing, that, the thing I don't get is, why is he screaming after every punch? It's like, punch, ah, punch, ah, punch, yeah. Like, punch him, kick his ass, stop screaming. Rick Ross, Swerve, and Keith Lee in this situation, I think, can make a lot of sense and do a lot of great stories with this. And I think Tony Khan could put them in the right direction. I don't know what's going on with these other two guys. It just doesn't fit. But who knows? Tony Khan might have a plan in there, and it might work. Who knows? Let's go back to another feud uh, that seems like it's starting out here uh, that started off AEW Dynamite. Ricky Starks opens up the show, cutting a promo after his loss to MJF last week, basically saying like, you know what? It won't be the last time him and MJF cross paths. And again, another rivalry that Tony Khan can book to further AEW to that next level. Ricky Starks and MJF, that's not going to be the last time they wrestle each other. And a lot of people could say that's their Austin and Rock feud. Perhaps it is. I hope it is. Because I think them on the, on the mic could do great stuff. It, look what they did in their first two weeks. It was absolutely great. Yeah. 
and they had a, a great match to follow up. Now give them a six month program. Totally different story, I think. But nonetheless, so Ricky Starks gets interrupted by Chris Jericho. Chris Jericho offers him to be a part of the Jericho Appreciation Society. Ricky Starks refuses, gets attacked by Jake Hager from behind, and of course, um, gets attacked by the rest of the JAS. In coming in for the save, Action Andretti. So we got follow-up to this by Tony Khan. Good job, Tony. A lot of praise for Tony Khan this week. Action Andretti comes out. He looks like a million bucks. He does all this great stuff. Jericho makes him look like a star. Ricky Starks and Andretti are standing tall. So. I feel like this is going to be a match at Revolution. Either a tag team match with Starks and Andretti against two members of JAS or Jericho versus Ricky Starks. Either way, sign me up for it. Yeah, and you kind of touched on this a little while ago. You know what the hardest thing is? and Actually, you know part of the reason why WWE is so successful? Because there are guys like you and I who have watched WWE pretty much essentially our whole life. We grew right. up with it. Right. We've had wives. We have wives. We've had wives. We have wives. I've only been married once. You've only yes, been married once. Yes. Hopefully it stays that way, but who the hell knows? <laughs> if we um, keep doing this podcast, it might not, but continue. <laughs> uh, they're at, she's at Disney on us right now, so I have about an hour left before I get in trouble for doing this. So um, <laughs> anyway, where I'm going with this is this. Is, is This is where I am going with this, I should say. There are certainly going to be situations where a wife, a girlfriend, a significant other is watching WWE or pro wrestling as a byproduct of you being a fan of it. Meaning if I'm sitting there watching WWE, if I decide to attend a WWE event, my wife, my daughter who loves John Cena and Bianca Belair, she loves, she knows and loves whoever they will watch it because I am a fan of it. And they are familiar with certain people. Right. Last night I was watching dynamite on my couch she knows who MJF is because she sees him. She knows him. She knows he's an ass. She knows he's a dick and she likes him for it. Um, last night, she had her first experience of Ricky Starks. She had said something along the lines of who is this guy pretending to be the rock? That is, and people don't want to acknowledge it. That is a very real thing that AEW is going to have to overcome. Mm -hmm. And it is going to take years and years and years to get to that point because you have a lapsed fan. Uh, a fan that isn't watching on, on a regular basis, a fan that is accidentally watching that isn't going to be invested in it and just always compare it to WWE because that's all they've ever seen. Mm -hmm. uh, I know people don't want to hear that. I know they don't want to acknowledge it, but that is a real thing. Me as a fan of AEW and as a fan of just wrestling in general, to me, Ricky Starks is a guy that has the it factor. Yes, um, he does. And we've seen him become more comfortable i think in his role last night having him come out there the way he was dressed the way he was carrying himself and the way that he carried himself on the microphone certainly reminded me of the rock and that's high praise because you know the rock is one of the best to ever do it but again just be, having that ability to walk in the ring like an mjf and just kind of command the room and certainly go toe to toe with somebody like a chris jericho who's a legend who's known for his good mic skills reinventing himself and you know, just some of the things he was said, the, the best line that he said was referring to Chris Jericho. He said, you came out here a couple months ago looking like an air fryer. And yes. I don't know why I found it so funny, but if you know what an air fryer, like they're short, they're stumpy. Like it was a perfect comparison in my mind because for quite a while, a lot of people were critical of Chris Jericho and I never heard anybody refer to anybody as an air fryer, but it was great. I've been critical of the JS because I feel like they've been kind of all over the show and it's kind of like, oh God, like. Just go away. I'm sick of this feud. And last night, like having him and Jericho maybe potentially feuding against each other, I'd be down for that. 
I right. really would. The Blackpool Combat Club and JAS thing just overstayed its welcome. And while I want rivalries, I don't want a nine-month program that was just repetitive over and over and over again. We don't want that either. You know, right. you got to find that balance of like keeping them always tied together, but don't make it like, all right, can we find something else, please, for these guys? And I think what we're seeing with Ricky Starks and Action Andretti, make them a tag team. Put them in a tag team for a while. It might, some people might be like, oh, that's not good for Ricky Starks. That's not good for Action Andretti. But listen, if it gets them more TV time and more exposure, do it. Because it's better than having a guy like Mero who has to reject creative plans and have no reason to be on Dynamite because they can't find anything for him. You don't want to be him, but get on TV. You make your money on television. You don't make it at home. I mean, unless you have a guaranteed contract, but you get my point. Speaking of making money, you know who's making money? Mandy Rose. Whew, is she making money? According to her agent, she is making $500,000 just from one week after leaving WWE. And they project her to be a millionaire by Christmas. Good for her if that is true. Good for her. And I mean, there's a lot of horny troglodytes out there, so I could totally see it. But this is a point that, I, I kind of touched on last week, but I know a lot of people were, were harping on WWE last week and they used her as a sex symbol. And as soon as she went a little too sexual, they drop her and release her or, you know, she makes money on the side because they can't make money off of her. They release her. I understand that argument, but I think what people need to really focus on, she used WWE too. And this is a perfect example of that. Lana even said the same thing. Like she made more money than she ever did in WWE. And she had a pretty big contract in WWE too. Yes, WWE used them in their sexual uh, sexuality and used them as sex symbols. Yes, 100% agree. But you can't deny that these two also used WWE to build a brand that people will understand who they are and put give money to them even when they're not wrestling in WWE. They're obviously, they were both famous because of WWE or maybe elsewhere. I know Mandy, she was like a fitness model or did something right. like and, and, something and, like that. And prior. Lana did some acting. She was in Pitch Perfect. My, mean, it was an extra role, but still, she was in it nonetheless. Look, you're on a TV show. You're, you have, you know, worldwide exposure on, on a mainstream level. I guess it just so happens to be working out for Mandy Rose here. I, it's not a bad thing for her. I mean, she obviously intended to do this to make money and she's making money. I mean, I guess it ended up where it's just, it sucks because she lost her job with the WWE, but she's still going to be well off. It seems right. And as long as she's, and I'm sure she'll be back. I really, I'm sure she'll be. Yeah. back. Yeah. I mean, it's not like she's done with WWE. She could come back. I mean, Lonnie even said this week, everybody comes back to WWE. So we'll see how that goes. But a lot of people were upset of what happened with Mandy Rose because of what happened with Matt Riddle the same week. How do you release Mandy Rose, but not release Matt Riddle? And obviously there's the wellness policy that kind of plays into an effect. Dave Meltzer saying that they're getting rid of the wellness policy. I don't really believe that. That seems kind of dumb in 2022 to get rid of a wellness policy unless it's a no tolerance policy. But nonetheless, um, Matt Riddle finally spoke on this or actually went to Instagram about the situation. 
And here's what he had to say about it. He said, I've been working a lot on myself lately and have been saying no and setting boundaries for the first time ever. And certain people aren't happy about it, but I couldn't be healthier or happier. Thank you all for the support. I'm not really quite sure what to make of it. It's been a weird couple of weeks for Riddle. Um, you know, obviously the news broke that he had failed a wellness test. Uh, some people were saying it was for, I think, what, MDA and maybe cocaine and Molly. Cocaine. I saw. Who the hell knows uh, as far as that stuff, if it's true. Um, then there were people coming out and there were allegations that he was dating someone and cheating on them. I don't know. The main thing, like we said with Jeff Hardy, if this is true, if he has issues with substance abuse, the hope is he can go get that stuff taken care of, come back to wrestling healthy when he's ready to do it. If he's saying he's okay and he's saying that he's getting help, whether it's for some type of addiction uh, whether it's because he's got some stuff going on in his personal life. I know that, you know, he recently went through or is going through a divorce. Right. That's, that's a lot for people to handle, you know? And I think a lot of times people forget that stuff when they're making these comments, especially in the case where, you know, you have people using his situation, which isn't even confirmed. Like it really happened to support an argument and justify the argument they're trying to make about Mandy's situation. Mm -hmm. Mandy got, let go, released, whatever the case, fired, whatever. She's not in WWE. We know that. That's confirmed by her and by whoever else. That's a real thing. Matt Riddle right now is not working in WWE on Raw on a regular basis, and we don't really know the real reason why, but people are using all of the rumors out there to kind of use it as something to justify their, their argument for Mandy. That's why I got so pissed. Well, part of the reason why it bothered me so much last week, because it's like, they to me, they just don't relate. And it's like, you know, okay, well, if Riddle's got something going on, let the guy take care of it. Let him get healthy. Let him come back. Hopefully it works out. It's not as easy to fire someone for substance abuse. You have to offer rehab in some cases. If, if that's even true. I mean, for all we know, the stuff going through the divorce and the drug test could both be true. Maybe he's taking cocaine. Uh, taking cocaine to help him go through the divorce, him leading to rehab because of it. Or maybe he just had some weird injury and just taking time. I don't, I don't know. Right. I don't know. We don't know. So unless Riddle or WWE make a statement and, and I've seen some people say WWE is not going to come out and say he's taking cocaine. What we, they will say is Matt Riddle has failed a wellness policy and is suspended for 30 days. They have done it before. They will do it again. No one is above that wellness policy. Roman Reigns failed the wellness policy. Randy Orton failed the wellness policy. And they both times they announced that they were suspended. I don't see why they would not say it to Riddle about Riddle. It's, it's odd to me about that. But Raw was very interesting this week. It really was. And one of the things that I really liked about it was there was this continuous story throughout the show. And that was obviously the bloodline invading Raw. They attacked everybody. And what I mean, everybody, the OC, which seems like maybe that's going to be a future feud with the bloodline and the OC. They attacked Andre Chase, who was just there for a main event show. He gets attacked. Seth Rollins gets attacked. Kevin Owens comes in for the save. It leads to a tag team match, which uh, Kevin Owens and Seth, uh, Seth Rollins win. I just thought it was really, really good. And WWE could really, you know, go into this because, listen, the ratings have not been good the last couple of weeks. And you could say it's the season. You could say it's December, but raw has been, eh, I'll admit it. It's been eh, not that good. Crowds right. suck. That doesn't help matters. 
And the crowd <laughs> wasn't even that good this week either. They suck. Never. I, I don't, yep. It's yep. night and day. SmackDown has a really hot crowd. Raw has a really shitty crowd. I don't get it. Because yes. it's basically the same show with different colors. I think this is something WWE could do to get them to you know the next level as well because this is another thing that worked in the Attitude Era. There was the, a continuous story throughout the show. If you can do that, you're going to keep people watching. You're not going to get that dip. And this worked uh, when Lashley won the WWE Championship. When they kept having The Miz back out of the match, that helped their ratings throughout the show. Yeah, I bet you that I didn't see the quarter hours yet, but I bet you this helped with their their third hour immensely because it's a continuous story. If it's just, you know, different segment, different segment, different segment, you're going to get people tuning out if it's guys they don't care about. Honestly, I actually said this a few weeks ago uh, regarding Raw. I feel like if they're not going to have a champion like a Roman or whoever else be on that show on a consistent basis, the next best thing they can do is one, estab truly establish the IC or whatever it's called. United now, States title. US, US championship. Uh, establish that as the main title. Mm -hmm. And it seems like they're definitely doing something with Seth and Theory, which I think is actually really good. Yes. Um, and the other thing I said was, put the bloodline on. Put the Usos on. If Roman's not going to be there on a weekly basis, put Sami Zayn on there. Put the Usos on there. And, you know, they have a good thing going. Let that be part of Raw. Make that interesting again. It's got a couple good things going for it. But my God, it is like a marathon to get through. Mm -hmm. It is stale in 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 all the word, like in any definition. It is as stale as you can get, both in production, commentary, the feel of it, like everything about it just seems so stale. The crowd doesn't care about it. Nope. Um, and they've got talented people there, which stinks because, you know, They've got Becky Lynch feuding with damage control. I mean, at least Bailey won a match finally. Yeah. And you know what? I did like this past week. I thought for the first time in a long time, Alexa Bliss felt like the Alexa Bliss who was the champion several years ago. Mm -hmm. She did that. That segment with Bianca Belair was the best thing I've seen from Alexa Bliss in forever. You know, it's good to see her back in the mix again. So I thought this past week's past week of Raw was was definitely an improvement. It's just the crowd is a killer, man. The crowd is a killer. I will say the crowd was behind Seth Rollins, obviously hometown guy, but also Kevin Owens and the Austin Theory segment. Those three right there, I thought, you know, they did a really good job with that. But the one line that Theory tried did not stick. And that was uh, something with the with the Bears crickets. But other than that, the crowd was into that segment. And that was probably the only highlight of, at least in the crowd's perspective, because the thing everybody's talking about outside of the bloodline invading Raw, everyone's talking about Bronson Reed's return. And the crowd did not respond to this either. They didn't really respond to the ladder match itself between The Miz and Dexter Loomis, maybe because they were like me and were like, why the hell are they having this ladder match? Dexter Loomis already won the feud. He got the money. It's like a sequel that didn't need a sequel, but... Bronson Reed comes out. He helps the Miz win the ladder match. So they get the money back and he's hired now as the Miz is heavy. This brings up a lot of backlash with the IWC because Jonah Bronson Reed outside of WWE beat Kazichika Okada. And he comes back to WWE to be the Miz's heavy. What a downgrade. My God. How do you go from beating Okada to joining forces with the Miz? That is such a downgrade. 
I can't believe he agreed to do such stupid shit like this. Uh, in the spirit of being in the holiday season and everything else, I'm not going to get too animated. At least I, I don't think so. I do have a lot of things that I have to say here, though. He beat Okada. Okay, let's start there because that was something that I saw a lot all over social media, all over Twitter. How do you go from beating Okada to going to WWE and being the Miz's muscle? Because it's been a while since I kept up with New Japan Pro Wrestling. And yes, people who are on the IWC and all over the dirt sheets and everything, not everybody watches New Japan Pro Wrestling. So I know that may come, sh come as a shock to most of you, especially WWE fans, especially if they pan the Raw fans. Uh, you're probably going to see a lot of kids, probably most of them who don't even know what New Japan Pro Wrestling is. So I, I don't think they care that Jonah beat Okada at any point in time. When did he beat Okada? If Unless it's wrong, he beat Okada in like August or September. Yeah. Does that sound right? Yes. He recently lost to Okada. Does that also sound right? I can't confirm that because like you, I haven't been following too much, but I wouldn't be surprised if Okada got the win back at some point. Okay. I'm going to look this up right now in the interest of being fair, because, you know, the last thing I want is somebody coming on our message boards and saying, oh, you guys don't know what you're talking about. So according to ProFight uh, DB, which is usually where I go and look all of the wins and losses up. Let's see. Jonah, New Japan Pro Wrestling. It has him listed here as beating Okada. Oof, we really got to scroll down for this one, boys and girls. Hold on. Jonah defeated. No, that's not quite it, is it? Hey, I think I'm kind of proving my point here. Uh, uh, Jonah defeated Okada back on August 7th, 2022. It's now, for anybody who's counting, we're now in December. So you would have thought this happened last week, the way that the outrage had uh, poured out all over social media. According to this, Okada got his win back over Jonah by defeating him. So, so if I if I understand the timeline correctly, Jonah beat him during the G1. Okada won the briefcase. So Jonah gets a chance to win the briefcase. Okada beat him. Now, according to everything we know, Jonah was paid by appearance, right? Mm -hmm. So there had to be either an out clause, whether he could leave on his own terms, if WWE either offered him a contract or he just decided this isn't for me anymore. I'm going to go over here. So. First of all, New Japan Pro Wrestling, the company that booked Jonah or Bronson Reed or whatever you want to call him to go over the guy that you are now using for your his argument, they knew that this guy could up and leave and go anywhere he wants. He could have showed up on Dynamite and gotten face-to-face -face with MJF and gotten into a feud with him right then and there. He could have left and he could have gone to Impact Wrestling and gotten in the face of anybody in that company. But that's what the terms for this guy's contract apparently said. You can leave whenever you want if you feel like there's a better offer. Same thing with Carl there. Anderson. And he's a champion. <laughs> so here's the point. How in the world are people within the Twitter sphere supposedly going to know what's best for business about said wrestler who can up and leave whenever he wants and say, oh, well, they, sh they booked him to beat Okada. You don't think they didn't know that that was a possibility that, hey, let's put him against Okada, knowing that if WWE comes knocking that, you know, he can just up and leave whenever he wants. I'm pretty freaking sure they know exactly what was written in that contract. So what are you outraged for? What, especially, what are you outraged for when he got his win back, apparently? Their, their rage is he beats a top guy, if not the top guy in, in New Japan Pro Wrestling in Okada, right? He goes to WWE and he's paired with The Miz. Is The Miz a top guy? Is The Miz ever going to be a top guy? He's a top heel for sure. 
He's a weekly feature on Monday Night Raw, which is one of the most watched professional wrestling shows in the world. And that is something that people can get upset about, but that's the truth. The Miz will be on Raw every week. Every week. Good segment, bad segment, whatever the case may be, he'll get a reaction and he'll be on the show. Right or wrong? Right. Can we agree on that? Yes. Probably? Yes. So, look, you got to understand, this is what people don't get. They want to make the comparisons. Oh, well, why would he go and do this? Why would... They're, they're, they're different companies. People make that argument all the time. Oh, this is pro wrestling and that's entertainment. Okay, well, putting Bronson Reed in a position where he's going to be a muscle for a guy that's on the show every single week. Yeah, he's not going to go face to face with the champion in Roman Reigns as soon as he debuts. There's a reason for that. He didn't get the reaction, right? So mm -hmm. if he's not going to get a reaction when he debuts, why would they just have him come out and go face to face with their champion so they could be like, oh, well, he just beat Okada? I get it. Twitter, you make your comment. All the people that you associate with, they're like-minded. They're jumping all over it. He beat Okada. Why would he do this? Not everybody, especially WWE fans, they're not watching New Japan Pro Wrestling. They don't know who Okada is. This is a very large, mostly probably casual or above, a little bit above casual fan status that tunes in on a weekly basis. They're not following pro wrestling like me or you or whoever else. They don't know who Okada is. Certainly not now, five or six years removed from the feud that he had with Kenny Omega. I mean, I mean, he, so, he was at Forbidden Door. So there's going to be some American fans who know who he is if they watch. But Forbidden that's part Door. of that same fan base. WWE's fan base is is very different than the fan base that but you're going to no get. There's no crossover AEW. between AEW fans and WWE fans. You have to admit of that there there's definitely crossover there between the two. It's I mean, it's not like only WWE fans and only AEW fans. There's a lot of crossover between the two. And I know a lot of people don't want to admit that, but there is. There's, there's probably a lot more there, crossover there than people want to admit. There, there's crossover. All I'm trying to offer here is the fact that one, not all the fans that are watching WWE know that, oh, well, he has a win over Okada. Yes, that's impressive to hardcore fans, the people that watch all types of pro wrestling, you and I, we know that that's a big deal to have a win over Okada. Mm -hmm. Not everybody's going to know who that is and how meaningful that truly is. And they have to also understand, and most people admit this, they're just different. Where wins and losses matter in companies like New Japan Pro Wrestling and AEW, WWE, wins and losses matter only to a certain extent. The thing that's always more important is the story. The Usos lost like what 12 times in the course of a year and they're still the tag team champions and in the Including top storyline maybe all correct exactly my point and then the other side of this too is if he made the decision for a financial thing please man we're one week removed from having the discussion like oh good uh mandy rose told wwe to shove it because she could make more money doing her own thing over here the same people that were championing mandy rose for saying wwe can shove it i can make money elsewhere are the same people that are probably putting down Jonah for saying, I'm going to make a financial decision. There are absolutely, without a doubt, people that are just going to crap all over this because he went to WWE. Had he shown up in AEW or somewhere else, I doubt, highly doubt, it would have gotten the reaction that most people are having with this whole thing. I think it's not so much that he went to WWE. I think a lot of this is just the fact that he's paired with The Miz. And there's a lot of negative connotation to the Miz, especially within the IWC, because he's not known to be a, a work rate guy. He's a guy that has the reality TV background, still has a reality TV show, does dancing with the stars, known to be a talker, you know, 
hasn't really evolved his character so much in the last 15 years. Those that have actually defended the Miz have all said the same thing. This guy puts over everybody he works with. Daniel Bryan, Logan Paul, Dolph Ziggler, Roman Reigns too. Everybody and he, he works with, for- he makes better. And it's the guys in the industry that you will hear praise him too. I think AJ Styles even came out and said that The Miz is the best heel because of the way he, whatever he said. Yeah. Something along those lines. Right. He's great at his job. So does it mean more for you or I or some other random fan to say, oh, well, The Miz sucks because uh, he can't have a five-star match? Or does it mean more coming from a guy like AJ Styles to say he's one of the best heels in the industry? I'm pretty sure I want to take AJ's word for it. All right, let's close it out with SmackDown. I think... Obviously, it was a pretty good show. We had a really good Intercontinental Championship match with Gunther and Ricochet. Uh, but I think a lot of people are talking about is we got the the introduction and the debut of Uncle Howdy. He comes out during a segment where L.A. Knight comes out. He's like, I'm done with this. Come out, Bray. Bray comes out. He's like, wasn't me that attacked you. Lights go out and we get. Uncle Howdy, who just stands there and laughs for like 20 seconds, may even been longer, tips his little hat there. I just feel like this is the problem with Bray Wyatt. He is a very creative guy. Every character that he creates or works with is knocked out of the park. And storyline wise, whoever he's working with, they grave, they have a great story, but no one comes out better at the end because it's hard to book matches with a character like Bray Wyatt. And I think this whole uncle howdy thing, the uncle howdy thing is a a step in that direction. We're going to get this really great story, but the match is just going to be like, what the fuck are we watching? You know, this is what we saw with Rollins. This is what we saw with Orton. I mean, Daniel Bryan actually got a decent match out of him with that strap match at Royal rumble, but like even the stuff with the Miz, that might be the only person the Miz didn't get uh, better after he was done feuding with them was Bray Wyatt. It's a great, he's a great character. One of the best in the business, but it's hard to book matches with this guy. And I am worried for LA Knight because this is really his first feud on the main roster. And it's like, where do you go? Do you have Bray go over? Do you have LA Knight go over? Or do you do a schmoz? And that pisses everybody off because you get like Seth Rollins versus Bray and Hell in a Cell all over again. Nowadays, I'm not a huge fan of the supernatural stuff, especially the things like if this is going to go a direction where it's like Bray Wyatt maybe having some type of split personality, I don't think it's going to go that route. I would much have rather have it be where this Uncle Howdy guy is. I don't care. You know, I see the things people say. Let it be Bo Dallas. Let it be, you know, somebody who's going to come out and make some crazy proclamation as to why he's going after Bray Wyatt. I'd be fine with that. I'm not into the hocus pocus stuff like the stuff like you said we saw with Seth the stuff that we saw with Alexa Bliss Firefly Funhouse while it's good to a certain extent like again like that's very niche like that's not gonna please everybody I understand wrestling everybody knows that this is is predetermined and it's not real um that doesn't mean that you shouldn't try to convince people that what you're doing doesn't have some sense of realism and that the feuds are real and it's really, really hard for me to get into things, especially when it's like, I don't know, like uh, we're teleporting and, you know, he's in the ring and then all of a sudden he's backstage. Like, I, I can't get into that stuff. And Bray Wyatt is great for a character and for his ability to cut promos and all that type of stuff. But I am kind of 
nervous about the direction they're going to go with this. I'm just hoping it ends up being, look, Uncle Howdy is some guy that hides behind a mask and they're going to, you know, be someone that that gets involved with Bray Wyatt one way or another. And it, it's not anything beyond that. Not some like creepy. I don't know. I, I, it just doesn't do any good for Bray. I don't think so. But then what happens with L.A. Knight? Like, did they do all this with L.A. Knight? Just to introduce Uncle Howdy, and now Bray's just going to do this thing with Uncle Howdy, and LA Knight gets put by the wayside now without even a match? I, well, I'll tell you this much. There has to be some type of progress. Look, I get it. Uncle Howdy showed up, right? Yeah. Um, it took, what, four months for to get to this point? I'm just hoping we get to the reveal. What's the point of this? What's the point? Once we get the point of who this is, and it's not just some figment of his imagination that, like, we're not supposed to be seeing, but they're presenting as like a, kind of like a movie, like you could see into his mind or something kind of like, kinda we like saw Pennywise. With the well, yeah, just like with the Firefly Funhouse. Look, everybody knew that wasn't real, but we were supposed to like pretend like it was all like something that Bray Wyatt was creating because he had some like mystical power of some sort or the match he had with Cena where they were teleporting. Was it original? Yeah, it was original and I get it. It was during the pandemic and all that stuff, but it's not, realistic and it's dangerous not dangerous but it turns a certain fan off like i'm not into that stuff and i think a lot of people would agree most people i mean seth rollins as great as he was think of how long it took him to recoup from that hell in the cell match almost three that stench years. was on seth rollins for a long long time long long time and la knight might have that and it might be irreversible i hope not because la light is very good he is We'll see how it goes. We'll see how Uncle Howdy does. Let us know in the Babel section if you guys believe or agree with Ralph on his rant with Jonah this week. And of course, you can get this episode ad-free and unedited by joining SCPB+. Just click join underneath this video. Don't forget to share this all over social media. We'll see you on the next episode of the Squared Circle Psycho Babble.